Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Let me begin by saying this. If you're a, 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 what I affectionately refer to as a laner, a person who comes to Cross Lane all the time, you have heard me do this before. This is my um, pre-money talk disclaimer for those who are visitors today. If you're a visitor with us today, especially if you are not someone who calls yourself a Christian and someone dragged you to church or promised you free donuts, I'm not sure what they told you was going to happen when you got here or how they got you here. We're glad you're here, um, but you need to understand that what I'm saying today does not directly apply to you. doesn't mean you can't learn something from it. I'm going to talk about some things today that you don't even have to be a believer in, in God to, to benefit from what I'm going to talk about today, but, but I'm going to say some relatively hard things, and, and it's quite possible I'm going to tick somebody off this morning, now that I really have your attention. <clears throat> but I, if, you're, if you don't believe in Jesus and you don't follow Jesus, then, then you're, I'm glad you're here, you're our guest, and we're so glad you're here. But we do not expect you to fund our ministries, that's not how we do things around here. Um, you're our guest, and I hope you have a great time. If you're a visitor and you're a Christian, um, then you're included in what I'm going to talk about today. And when I tell you that I'm probably going to make somebody mad this morning, uh, it's my experience that if I make someone mad when I talk about money, that person probably needs to be made mad when I talk about money. Um, if I make you mad this morning, don't get mad at me. <clears throat> get mad at God because God is certainly trying to say something to you and you may need to just shelve the anger long enough to listen to what it is that God's really trying to say. If you're angry, that's a good red flag that you need to sit up and, and take note a little bit. Um, I'm very, very excited about what I'm teaching you this morning. I've been working on this hard uh, over the last week or two, trying to get ready, uh, extremely hard this week. Um, it, it's been a long time since I've taught something that I was, I mean, I'm always excited about what I'm going to teach, but it's been a long time since I've been this excited because I've learned so much. And, and uh, it's just, uh, this is the kind of talk that you may want to have a pen ready to write a couple of things down. I'm going to diagram some stuff for you on the whiteboard that I think will be especially helpful. Please pray for me. My voice is not cooperating this morning, hence the pineapple juice. So if I drink that in copious amounts this morning, you will understand why, okay? So all the disclaimers out of the way. Economics is a hot topic, right? It's, uh, it's nationally, it's hot. Globally, it's hot. Economics is something that gets a lot of press these days. However, there are um, other things that need to be talked, out, talked about um, maybe more. Maybe the way we talk about economics needs to be talked about in a new way. What are the four most defining questions for your economic life? That's kind of where I want to start this morning. What are the four questions that stand above all the others as the most important? That if you got these four questions about economics right then you would avoid a lot of financial trouble. And if you got these four questions right, you may never have serious financial trouble again. The four questions that, that you'd want your kids to go out into the world armed with answering, right? That you'd want them to have the, the, um, the right perspective on the four questions that, that I'm going to talk about here. I'll push it even further. I think that these are the four questions that God might elevate to the very top to be the things that God would say, this is where I want you to focus this is what I want you to be about, and this is what I want you to know. Um, here's what I think they are. 
And, and here's where we're going for the next several weeks in this series called Economic Atheist. How you work, how you honor, how you budget, and how you Sabbath. When economy kind of slaps you in the face, what do you do? How do you respond? Here's a question. When it comes to money and economics, are we all just kind of on our own, or is God intimately involved in the arena of finance? Today, I want to take on the first of the four questions, how do I work? What if we're deceived? What if we're doing what we think is right, we're doing the best that we know, and we think we're doing a good thing, but ultimately it brings loss? What if we think we're doing something that's going to bring gain, but what it really brings to us is loss? We think it's going to bring life and it brings death, economically speaking. What if we are deceived? That was the experience of Dr. Ignaz Simmelweis. Yeah, you try this. It's not easy. <laughs> Deception was his experience. He was an OBGYN in Europe in the mid-1800s at a hospital called Vienna General Hospital. It was a very important research hospital and he delivered babies, and in his ward, one in ten women who gave birth to a child died. There are stories of women on their knees begging to be removed from his ward because his death rate was so high. Everyone was confounded until one day Dr. Simmelweis took a, a four-month leave of absence, and when he did, the death rate in his ward dropped dramatically. They finally came to the possibility that their work on cadavers might be the problem. Dr. Simmelweis would work on cadavers and then go to work on live patients, and this was before they had the understanding of germs and how germs were spread and what they did to the body. And so he passed these germs from cadavers to live patients, and Dr. Simmelweis drew a line in the sand, and he established a guideline for all the nurses and doctors. It was simple. Wash your hands in chlorine and lime before you care for living patients. And the death rate in Dr. Simmelweis's ward dropped dramatically. Simple guideline. A fence that was erected to establish a line. The medical law was being defied and they were deceived. They thought they were doing good, but in essence they were bringing death. As Dr. Simmelweis lamented his lack of understanding, he said, God only knows how many people prematurely went to their grave because of me. Can you imagine trying to come to terms with that as a doctor? Your whole life is about giving life. And through your own deception, you realize that you have been the reason people have not been able to live. That's what deception does. They established a simple guideline, and that was in the book of Leviticus. That's what, that's what this was all about, is establishing guidelines. It's God providing laws and guidelines, building fences, and giving clear understanding. There's dietary guidelines in there. There are relational guidelines, guidance for sacrifice, guidance for how you worship. There, are guide, there was guidance for ethics. And even where we're going for the next several weeks, there were economic guidelines established in the book of Leviticus. God is saying, I've built a fence, I have established some guidelines, and if you would just stay inside this, you would have life. We've got to learn how to wash our hands, financially speaking. 
Leviticus chapter 18, just a little bit of background on the book of Leviticus. It is one of five books of what we refer to as the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the first five books in the Old Testament. And those first five books in the Old Testament are the foundation of Judaism and really the foundation of Christianity. To miss the depth of these early books is to miss the depth of Christianity altogether. It begins with Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man in his own image. He made a wonderful relationship with with man and God, and then man sinned and destroyed God's design and went outside God's guidelines. We dismissed God. But God established that he would raise up through Abraham a unique nation. It would demonstrate what God had intended from the beginning, the good life that God had intended for all of us to enjoy. That was That's really what God had in mind with Abraham and the the new nation that he would establish. In Exodus, we find that nation known as Israel. And they're enslaved in Egypt. God rescues them and establishes himself as ruler. And he says, now follow me. And in the book of Leviticus, he establishes his contract, the the rules of righteousness, so to speak, and, and It's the equivalent of kind of drawing a line and saying, just so you know, I want you to have life to the full, but stay inside this line. It is the equivalent of washing your hands. I know it sounds simple. I know it's something you could dismiss. There is life on the other side, but if you dismiss these laws, you invite into your life death. And God says, I love you, and I want to tell you what these laws are. And so in Leviticus chapter 18, the verse verse, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. In other words, don't be like them. Verse 4, you must obey the laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will what? The person who obeys them will live. God's saying don't be deceived in this. I'm drawing lines for you. I want you to know what the laws are. I want you to have life to the full. That's what you need to understand about God. He wants you to have life to the full. So he says, because I love you, I'm going to tell you what they are ahead of time. Verse 5, keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live. I am the Lord. So a theist is a person who believes in one God, a God who created us, a God who reveals himself through his word, and he is the Lord of our lives. He is God. We are theists. One God. And God says, by the way, don't live like the Egyptians where you've been, and don't live like the Canaanites where you're going to be living. I don't want you to be like them. Don't be like those people. Those people are atheists. You're not an atheist. Don't want you to act like that. God says, I want you to live like theists in a world full of atheists. Now we jump to chapter 19. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. I'm the Lord your God. I'm going to establish a theocracy. I'm going to 
It's going to be government-based. It's going to be a government-based in the laws of God and who God is. God is the king, the Lord. You will be subjects. And by the time you get to the New Testament, we are children of God. But we follow under his rule because he has life designed for us. That's a key phrase. We follow under his rule because we understand he has life designed for us. So what really happens is God establishes a fence of his favor. Parents understand this. Parents understand that when you put up a fence, it is designed to give life to the person for whom the fence was erected, right? If you have small kids and you live next to a railroad track and you've got a four-year-old, you want a fence. And the four-year-old may not like the fence. The four-year-old may think that things are great over here on this side of the fence, but you know if he spends too much time on that side of the fence, you're not going to have him very long So you have erected a fence, and you've said, I know better than you. I know what you need. I'm wiser than you. I have more years behind me. There are things about this fence that you do not understand. Believe me, when I tell you, I've erected this so that you will be safe. The little boy looks back, and he doesn't understand any of that. See, what God says when he erects a fence for us, we look at it, and we think God's holding out on us. He's keeping something from us. When God's saying, if you will stay here is life. You come out here, it's death. Here is feast. Here is famine. Here is blessing. Here's cursing. And that's what Leviticus is all about, is trying to explain these guidelines and what they are. And, and, and so by the time you get to numbers in the Pentateuch, what you've got is a people of God who have grown weary of the fence And they don't like the fences anymore. And they have decided to pick and choose which ones they will observe and which ones they will go around. And they do it pretty casually. So these people in numbers get to a place where they're losing God's favor and God's blessing because they are not observing the fences and they're coming around some of the fences and saying, you know, we know better, we know what we're doing. And then in Deuteronomy, God raises up another generation, 40 years later. And in Deuteronomy, which really means to repeat, actually Deuteronomy means second name giving is really what Deuteronomy means. It means to repeat. God says, I just want to make sure that you understand that the fence of my favor, inside my fence, is blessing. And Moses dies And Joshua is raised up, and in the book of Joshua, the nation of Israel gets inside the favor of God, and they move into the promised land, and they are incredibly prosperous. God is very good to them, and it is the life that they all want. It is the life that we all want. It's a life of blessing. It's a life of prosperousness. It's a life of of everything that we can imagine, all the good stuff that we want. And it's all established in this commitment to get inside the fence of God's favor. So in the book of Leviticus, we have an invitation to some insights as to how we work. And it starts with some questions. The first question is, what is an economic cycle? Leviticus 19, 
Verse 23 is going to set that up for us. God is going to show us how he has designed things to work. This is how you work. This is how you do business. This is how you chase and go after things. This is how you build. And by the way, I need to point this out. God is declaring here, I am God over economics. I'm the God over finance. I am the author of it. See, a lot of us think we we can let God have a voice when it comes to morality and ethics. It just seems normal. It's, it's, you know, morality seems to be God's domain. We get that. But when it comes to economics and money, come on, that's material. That's far from God. That's secular. That's kind of how people think. That God shouldn't have anything to say about that. That's kind of mine. That's my business. I don't want God talking about that. You do understand, right, that the Bible talks more about money and economics than it does about prayer and faith combined. You know that. You say, well, Brett, just stick to the Bible. You know, just preach at us from the Bible. Okay, then I'd be talking about money most of the time. Because it it says an awful lot about economics and money in the Bible. Money and economics is a spiritual issue. Leviticus 19, verse 23, illustrates this economic cycle. Verse 23, when you enter the land and what? Plant. Any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years you are to consider it forbidden. It must not be eaten. Verse 24, in the what year? Fourth year. All its fruit will be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. So in the... Fourth year, it's all God's. Verse 25, but in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord your God. God is giving you an insight into the economic cycle and how to increase your harvest. At the moment we read that God builds a fence, he says, now here here are some guidelines for that. And we read that and think, no, God's, God's trying to take something away from me. Why is it that we always read God's word as something less for us, not something more for us? Why is it that we think when we come to the Bible, it's going to mean less for us? It's not going to mean more. Everyone's asking, how do you get ahead? How do you get ahead? And God says, here's how you get ahead. And we read it like, no, if I do that, I'll get behind. I can't do that. God says, wash your hands, and we say, I'm not going to do that, and things are dying around us, and we don't understand why, because we are deceived. I want to illustrate for you the economic principle. God says, this is how I have designed things to work. So it starts with, so... Grow, harvest. And then God says, in the economic cycle, what has to happen is you are constantly paying back out of the harvest and you're sowing out of the harvest. That's a constant that never changes. This is the economic cycle established by God. He says, if you will recognize that, it's a good thing. So I'd like for you you to help me with this. Say these with me. Sow, grow, harvest. Ready? Ready? 
Very good. You are much better than the first service. They, they were lame-o on that, right? Don't tell them I said that. In all fairness, there are more of you. Sow, grow, harvest, and you're constantly paying back out of the harvest to sow more. That's key. And so you come to sow, and what really is going on with sow is plow and plant. This is hard work. This is not easy. God says, you're going to come into this land, you're going to plant some fruit trees, and when you plant those fruit trees, it's going to be hard work. It's hard work. This, this applies to everything in your life. This applies to business. This applies to child rearing. This applies to relationships. There is that thing of plow and plant. It's not easy. It's hard. Then you come into the grow phase. The grow phase is marked by weed and weight. We hate this, don't we? We live in Terre Haute where there are trains everywhere. Of course we hate this. Weed and weight. It's, it's, it's hard for us in this country to weed and wait. We don't like it. There's nothing appealing about weed and weight. So, eventually though, you come into... The, that's, you do this for three years. Three years, you weed and wait. What's going on here? The roots are getting firm and deep into the ground. The branches are getting mature, able to bear fruit. And in that weed and wait period, in that grow period, you may prune, but God says, do not eat. You let this tree mature. Then in the fourth year is going to come a harvest, but who does that harvest belong to? Belongs to God. This is God saying, I gave you the tree. I established all of this. All that you have has come from me. Don't think that you own it. I own it. I've given it to you. God says, when you harvest that first harvest, you make sure that comes back to me. That is sowing from the harvest. Then you come to the fifth year and beyond, and God says, you will be prosperous. Now, I want to talk to the 20-somethings in the room for a minute. When you're a little guy, elementary age, your parents are sowing into you. It's hard work. We look at you if you're young in the room, you just need to know this about your parents. We do not look at you as an asset. We, we very lovingly call you a liability, okay? We're not getting much back, all right? We're not getting much back. It's hard work. We're pouring into you. We're sowing into you. There's a lot of plowing and planning going on, a lot of sweat, a lot of hard stuff. Then you come into your 20s and 30s, it's where we weed and wait. 20-somethings, 30-somethings, let me ask you just to consider for the next day or so, 
Ask yourself this question. What does it look like in my life for me to weed? What does it look like relationally for me to weed and wait? What does it look like financially for me to weed and wait? What does it look like for me morally to weed and wait? How do I grow? How can I be mature? And so you have, you know, your elementary years and your teen years, then you come in to grow, 30s and 40s, 20s and 30s, maybe the 40s. And then when you hit your 50s, that's when harvest happens. But 20s and 30s, understand that harvest is for later in life. You can't go harvesting the way your parents harvest. Okay? Your period is grow. You're in the grow period. You're not in the harvest period. You can't, it amazes me how many people that age try to live the lifestyle that it has taken their parents a lifetime to attain. And they're trying to shortcut, and they think, see, which of these, which of these three do we like the most? Harvest. Oh, heck yeah, we like harvest because here's what harvest is about. Harvest is about reap and reward. And we like that. But here's the thing, 20s and 30s, if you do not sow back out of the harvest and all you do is harvest, you short-circuit the economic cycle of God. And that's when the problems start. And what scares me is I'm afraid that we have become a generation of people who has fallen in love with the harvest and we don't recognize sow, grow, and harvest. We just think harvest, harvest, harvest. And when you raise a generation of people who that's their mantra, harvest, 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 then what we've raised is a group of people who are consumers consumed with consuming. And you raise a generation of people who owe more than they make and they bankrupt themselves and they bankrupt a nation and they bankrupt a family. Sound familiar? And when that happens, Saturday Night Live writes skits about it. Enjoy this. I just can't get these numbers to add up. Like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? (laughs) Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. (laughs) Let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. 
Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? No. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's funny. But that's reinforcing a principle that God gives us that says there is an economic cycle and it should not be broken. It's amazing that we can watch it on Saturday Night Live and we get it. We can read the Bible and not get it. And the Bible's been saying this from the beginning of time. Here's the question. Have we created a nation with the notion that that's what it should look like? Have we communicated that you can go ahead and cheat the economic process? It doesn't matter. You don't have to sow or plant. If you don't want to do that, if you're too lazy, you know what? Don't worry about it. You don't like that phase? Don't worry about it. You don't like sowing and growing? Don't worry about it. No big deal. Just harvest. And if in those choices you don't find the harvest that you want, well, then somebody owes you a harvest. See, in a harvest, harvest, harvest world, doesn't somebody owe us something? Haven't we done that to ourselves? Could that be in part why we are where we are? The New York Times did a study, and that study carried them to the north to, to just north of Minneapolis, to a county north of Minneapolis where they interviewed a group of people. And out of that, those interviews, um, they found this gentleman. Fail or succeed on my own merit. I don't need the government. I don't want the government. And we're, we're, we're hurting. I mean, we're really hurting. But I will, uh, I'll lose my house on my own before I take a dime from the government. And you should provide your own safety net. You're an American. Well plan ahead. I don't expect the rich to cough up the money that they work hard for to give to the people that are too foolish or too lazy to provide for themselves. Wow. That's just one man's opinion. Okay? It's just one man's opinion. Here's where I want to go with that clip. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about politics or are we talking about ethics? You see, what if we've gotten to a place in our nation where we call things politics and in doing so they become things that churches are never supposed to touch and never supposed to talk about? 
In fact, I would say it is ethics, and we'd better be talking about it. I'm going to leave the political ethical tension kind of right there, and we're going to hear some other opinions as we go through this series. But this stuff can kind of get complicated. And I, I just let me state for the record something that I just, I, you probably know this about me, but I just want to make sure that I state this publicly from this platform. I am not opposed to all forms of government assistance, okay? I'm not putting somebody down because they took or take government assistance. If you, if you get that from me, you've gotten something I don't want you to get. That's not at all. Please don't hear me saying something that I'm clearly not saying. What I'm trying to say is if you remove the fence of God's economic cycle, you are going to fall right into the things that Leviticus 19 talks about. There are other fences that God builds for our life, for our favor, for our freedom. In in Leviticus 19 verse 11 it says, do not steal. God erects that fence for a reason. Do not lie. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor, verse 13. In 2 Thessalonians, in the, same, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. Move on to verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. We put up a fence. Then it says, the one who is what? Unwilling, not unable. Unwilling. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. You say, Brett, that's in the Bible? That's in the New Testament. That's in the early church, the period of grace. Ephesians 4, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands. Here's why we work. I don't know if we get this as Christians. I don't think the the Christian church as a whole in America understands this next thing that I'm about to read from Ephesians, from the New Testament. But must work doing something useful with their own hands. Why do we work? Why do we do something useful with our own hands? that they may have something to share with those in need. That's why we work. Students, when you cheat on a test, which is your way of trying to get ahead so you can get a better grade, when you're lazy, when you shortcut the process, you sow that into your life. And when you really do have to work, you will produce less. It is cheating the economic process, and in this nation, we have tremendous challenges with stealing. We spend hundreds of billions of dollars in this country just to deal with security issues because we steal from one another. And then you get stories like the one you're about to see where the local news is asking people if they know this gentleman you're about to see in a minute. This is from the Lauderdale Airport. This is from TSA Uh, cameras, a lady accidentally leaves her $6,500 Rolex watch in one of the bins at the security line, and watch what happens.
police are looking for that guy. They put it on the news. Do you know this man? I would like to think that out of this room, the people in this room, that if that were us behind the lady who left a $6,500 Rolex watch, that the vast majority of us, that all of us, would scoop that watch up and either run to catch her or turn it into an agent because you certainly know she's going to come back looking for that watch. I would like to think that none of us would do what we just saw on that video. I have a feeling that we would be disappointed. Equally, or maybe even more troubling, are the comments from the internet site where this was posted. One person said, who cares if this is stealing or not? Maybe the idiot who spends $6,500 on a watch should be more careful next time and not forget to pick it up. Another person said, it's not stealing as there's no motive or intent to do so. A first-year law student would be able to get him off those charges. I'm going to say this next thing, and it's going to hurt, okay? I know it's going to hurt. And I know I'm about to make somebody mad. And I'm just going to say this again. If you haven't done anything wrong, and if you've got this figured out, this shouldn't make you mad. The only people this is going to make mad are people that need to hear what I'm about to say and change some things because they clearly don't understand. So if this makes you mad, I'm sorry, but it's got to be said. There are people in this nation and in this church who are ethically outraged at the video I just showed you, but it never occurs to them that they do the exact same thing at offering time. That God says in Leviticus, in the fourth year, the first fruit of the tree is mine. That is how you acknowledge me as God. And I suppose that it has never occurred to some that every offering we withhold from him, he sees in the same way we just watched that video of that guy lifting that Rolex watch. And what's more ironic is that we steal from God because we think it's going to help us get ahead. Once you buy into harvest, 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 you will have no choice but to lean into stealing and cheating and shortcutting and robbing Because all you want is to get ahead, and that's all you see is harvest, harvest, harvest. What is a theist? A theist is a person who believes that God is God, creator of heaven and earth, who has revealed himself to us. An economic theist is one who acknowledges God governs my economics, God governs my finances, how I work, how I honor, how I budget, how I Sabbath that I realize that God's gifts to me, the ability to work, the ability to attain all that I have are gifts, that money is not a God, I can enjoy little or much, and I'll be content. That's an economic theist. What is an economic atheist? An economic atheist is a person who says, there is no God over my finances. I am God, I decide how I work, I decide how I honor, I decide how I budget, and I decide how I Sabbath. Dr. Simmelweis had a great deception 
He worked very hard to save lives, all the while bringing them death, and he didn't see it. We have a great deception. We think that we are doing all the things to bring economic prosperity when simultaneously we are undermining the very favor of God and bringing loss and oftentimes death to our plans. Please listen to the next statement I'm about to make very carefully. It may be the most important thing I say all morning and it may make somebody mad and that's okay. But when you talk and pray like a theist, and you handle money and work like an atheist, God is powerless in your life. When you stand on this side of the fence and you talk and pray like a theist, morally and all that kind of stuff, but when it comes to money, you handle money like an atheist, God is powerless in your life. Because This is blessing, and this is cursing. And here there is life, and here there is death. And here there is feast, and here there is famine. If you do not follow the economic cycle, if you cheat the economic cycle, and you do not honor, and you do not budget, and you do not Sabbath, and you do not work inside the economic cycle, you invite the disfavor of God, you invite death into your life and into your finances. I fear that a majority of people at Cross Lane could be outside of God's favor in this area. I fear that we pray like theists, but we handle money and work like atheists. This is a series designed to bring us back. This is a series designed to teach us what it looks like to honor God in these areas of our life.